Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 37 and 34 Detroit Pistons. Yes, 37 and 34, we recorded prior to the Golden State game. Uh, ben and I recap each of the games this week in detail, except for the one that didn't happen yet. Uh, we discuss the possible return of Reggie Bullock, and then I get to let out a little bit of my fears around Blake Griffin's play in March. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great. The March Madness edition where, uh, you know, it gets difficult to keep up with everything that's going on in the NBA and the bracket. And currently keeping a little bit of an eye on Duke might be busting a few brackets here close to a tie game right now. How are you doing, Laz? I'm doing well. This is one of the this is the first year I think in like seven years I haven't filled out a full bracket only because the amount of college basketball I watched this year was so small that like I just didn't feel comfortable. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, I, I actually this is a, I agree. This is the first year in forever that I have not done one. And I same reason I just I watched almost none. So, yeah. But the reason presumably is because we're watching so much of the Detroit Pistons. That's hey, right. Transition. That's right. Uh, the Pistons are 37 and 35. Uh, they're tied with Brooklyn right now, uh, 16 and a half games back of first. Um, they're a game and a half up on Miami and two and a half games up on Orlando, who's in ninth. Uh, they're currently still uh, over a 95% chance of making the playoffs per 538. Uh, this week, actually, we're going to go back a little bit farther than just this week since we do a, didn't do a podcast last week. We got, we're going to talk about the wins over Toronto and Phoenix, the losses over Cleveland and Portland. And we are, uh, if you can't tell by the timestamp of the uh, Duke game mentioned, we are recording this before the Pistons play the Golden State Warriors tonight. Uh, no Boogie Cousins and no uh, Andre Iguodala in that game, so maybe that'll bode well for the Pistons. Maybe it won't. We'll probably be done recording before that game even starts, though. Um, but first things first, uh, Ben, I want to throw it to you cause you had a lot of detail this week. Um, the, with the Raptors game, uh, what were, what were your takeaways from that? Yeah. So obviously no Kyle Lowry, um, that, that makes a difference, but I still thought this was a really strong win. Um, I thought this win in particular showed a lot of poise for the Pistons, uh, and quite a bit of maturity. This team early in the season, you know, really struggled to close games. The infamous Reggie Jackson um, hot take in the middle of the Mickey interview. Um, you know, this this was a game that I think the early season Pistons would have lost. Um, they really played well in the first half, pretty much controlled the game. And, and Toronto really blitzed them in the third quarter. Um, 
but the Pistons were able to come back in the fourth and, and win against a very quality team. You know, obviously Kawhi Leonard was was very very good, uh, but the Pistons as a team, um, you know, were just better, and I think that was really encouraging to see a fourth quarter, um, really strong fourth quarter uh, to seal the win. Very impressive from the free throw line. I think that was probably the unsung hero of the game, along with Zaza and Dre. I think the big guys were were both very solid. But 24 for 27 from the line. Um, Reggie got there for nine free throw attempts. I think another sign that he's maybe back uh, and a little more explosive than he's been. Andre Drummond, five for five from the line. You know, all of those little things added up to a really high quality win. And then I've got to mention that Andre Drummond steal late in the fourth quarter that ended up with an, an Ellington layup. I just thought that was a fantastic play, a great way to seal the win. And really, I think smart, solid play from Dre made a really good read defensively. And then in transition, made exactly the right mature read rather than trying to, to finish himself, got it to the open man. So uh, I thought that was a fantastic win. A couple negatives, and these are really kind of things that I'm going to be tracking for the rest of the season. Perimeter defense was bad. Um, lots of broken coverage. Way too much dribble penetration was allowed. You know, especially with Lowry out, that was a little bit discouraging. Uh, and then I think the, the five Blake turnovers, and, and you know, you have some comments about Blake, and maybe this is a good time to talk about those. Um, you know, when he gets too much into his one-on-one stuff, he's really turnover prone and he's been turnover prone. And I think this game in particular, there just wasn't enough player movement, enough ball movement. Um, we can talk about the Phoenix game where I thought sort of the, the flip side of that was the case. The ball movement and player movement was fantastic, but uh, you know, the five Blake turnovers uh, as the defense crunches down in the playoffs, um, you know, Blake's got to keep that under control uh, and do a better job of, of keeping the ball moving. I think. I definitely agree. The, the thing that I took away most from this game was that uh, I would still prefer to play the Raptors in the playoffs over the Sixers, which I think they're would be the current matchup right now. But if that matchup were to occur, um, the Pistons simply have no answer for Kawhi Leonard. Not They didn't have one in this game, at least. And maybe schematically there's some things that I'm not envisioning, envisioning that uh, could be implemented. But physically, the the physical dominance and the inability pr- to prevent Kawhi from getting anywhere that he wanted to go on the court, uh, it seems like would be that'd be an issue uh, in a playoff series setting. Um, and the perimeter defense as a whole, as I think we're going to talk about for a bunch of times this week, uh, has just been kind of lax lately. Um, maybe some of that has to do with uh, the uh, decline in size on the perimeter going from Wayne Ellington to Reggie Bullock. Um, Maybe some of that is uh, due to (laughs) the fact that, uh, you know, Blake has, uh, we talked about Blake on offense, uh, turning the ball over. We can talk about him on defense, not closing out uh, appropriately and uh, kind of, you know, doing a lot of pointing and, and standing instead of like rotating himself. Um, to get in position and, and why that is, we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, I agree that uh, perimeter defense is definitely something uh, to be concerned about. Um, I, I will agree with you though that um, this is not a game that the 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 December or, or November version of the uh, Detroit Pistons would have won. And so uh, for that, I think we can we can attribute a lot of that to 
the mindset that Dwayne Casey has uh, has installed within them. Um, all right, the next game, the game the day after was uh, was the Cleveland game. Um, you know, the the coaching staff saw something the same thing we saw. Blake looked really tired. Um, perhaps they saw Cleveland as an opportunity to pick up a win and uh, not play Blake. That obviously didn't happen. But uh, what were your takeaways from the uh, the loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, I don't disagree with the the rest of Blake Griffin. I think that was fine. Um, bad loss, even without Blake Griffin. I mean, a team that's not even trying to win, <laughs> and the Pistons can't figure out a way to win this one. Uh, but at the same time, you know, without Blake in there, I, I don't want to overanalyze this one. They obviously missed him uh, offensively. Um, you know, Drummond led the team in shot attempts. I don't think that's necessarily a recipe for success. Um, I liked Reggie Jackson in this game. I felt like this actually would have been an opportunity for him to be even more assertive, I think. Um, I, if I remember right, he, he took about 15 shots. I wouldn't have minded seeing him uh, taking some more shots. Uh, Ellington sort of remembered how to shoot the basketball, so I'll take that. Um, but yeah, the, the poor defense, I mean, Cleveland is so bad. Uh, and to give up what they gave up to the Cavs, you know, the offense, I'm willing to just let it slide. No Blake Griffin, you know, I, I can live with the offense not being amazing. Um, you know, but defensively, to, to give up what you gave up to a team, 126 points to the Cleveland Cavaliers, that, that's really bad. Um, so the defense, as I mentioned in, in the recap of the Raptors, going into the playoffs, the defense just has to be better than it was. Yeah, the the defensive issues against Cleveland, I think uh, specifically uh, in the fourth quarter, I think you could attribute a lot of those to the lineups where Thon was at center. Because remember, this is when they were playing Thon and GR3 together at 4-5. Uh, at um, Thon is, we, we've talked about this in the past, Thon is not the, Thon's not a, an anchor. He's not a, a hub of a defense. He's a spoke. He's a guy who does things, his actions, you know, cause things to happen defensively, but he doesn't always have a plan, right? He's, he's not always uh, defending the way the coaching staff, I think, would want him to. And so um, when you are, when Thon is the back line of your defense, um, even against a team as uh, talent uh, poor as Cleveland, although I will say Colin Sexton played really well in this game and has apparently played really well over the last month, month and a half, and has made some real strides. And so um, I, we shouldn't have been surprised that Colin Sexton was as good as he was in this game, I suppose. But with that said, um, you still shouldn't rely on Thon to uh, to anchor your defense. And I think that was, a, that was part of the reason why um, the defense was so poor. Now, you know, the perimeter defense was, was still subpar, but I think uh, as, as we've seen, if you – if the perimeter defense is still poor and you have Andre back there, Andre has improved uh, enough as a defender to the point where you can still like survive. But, uh, you know, giving up 120 plus points to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, on a night when uh, Kevin Love didn't play on a night where uh, they had, they missed a bunch of other people. They missed like Delhi and Larry Nance Jr. Uh, like that, that just wasn't uh, acceptable. It was a bad, bad loss. Yeah, 50, they gave up 58% from the field and 50% from three to, you know, one of the worst teams in the NBA. That 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 just can't happen. Yeah, and and when when you're giving up like 15 points to Nick Stauskas in the fourth quarter, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not great. That's not that is not becoming of a playoff team, right? 
And so it was it was good to see them turn it around uh, against Phoenix with a couple more days of rest. Obviously, um, they did uh, kind of play sloppy in the first half, but turn it around in the second. Um, but this game was really late. I barely remember what happened. So Ben, <laughs> refresh my memory a little bit. What happened? Yeah, Phoenix? I had to go back and watch some of the some of the highlights on this one to refresh my memory as well, because these, these West coast games are rough, but uh, yeah, first half um, I felt like their defense was pretty much as bad as it was the, against the Cavs. I think they gave up 60 or something in the, the first half. And again, perimeter defense stands out as a problem. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Phoenix has some, some dangerous players out there, particularly uh, Booker. I mean, and Booker, I think, really kind of did whatever he wanted to in that first half. But it was really a tale of two halves in this one. The second half, uh, the Pistons turned everything around from my perspective. Defensively, they really um, they really locked things down. And then offensively, what stood out to me was the number of sets that the Pistons were able to run from start to finish. They really got away from um, a lot of one-on-one basketball. I think, you know, against Toronto, some of that worked. Uh, against Phoenix, though, it was a very different look. There was a whole lot of movement, um, some really interesting sets that I think you had um, off-ball screens happening on both sides of the floor at once, which I think caused the young sons a, a lot of difficulty. They just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and, and I think really some of the best ball and player movement that we've seen throughout the whole season. The Pistons are actually one of the worst in the NBA in terms of total team assists. They were better than average this game, uh, which I think goes along with the fact that everybody was moving. And really, this was a team win, right? I mean, seven different guys in double digits. Dre and Blake were not particularly great offensively, and the Pistons still won sort of running away in the second half. So the second half of this game, very, very encouraging, especially offensively to me to see um, you know, the, the team win on a night when, when Blake was struggling. Yeah, your your enunciation of the team's issues on defense uh, sparked my memory about this game. The, the thing I took away from this game was the uh, the immensely low quality of the refereeing uh, on 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 both sides. It didn't advantage uh, either team, but the the Pistons' defense in the first half suffered because Blake and Andre both had three fouls, and again, like there was a lot of reliance on Thon Maker. Um, and in the second half, they changed the uh, coverage on Devin Booker. They had Andre start, um, you know, flashing and guarding him from 28 feet out. They did the same thing with Thon to uh, to lesser effect, but uh, still forcing the the ball out of Devin Booker's hands was the plan uh, defensively in the second half. Um, you know, offensively, I think Wayne Wayne Ellington had a good game in this one. Uh, Blake shot, I think nine threes. In, in this game, something like that. He shot 11 threes. He shot 11 threes. He missed nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there, there we go. That's why the number nine was, was in my mind. But it was it was kind of disheartening to see Blake come off of a game where he rested three days and, and shoot 11 threes and kind of uh, appear passive in some way. Uh, Phoenix doesn't really have – Phoenix starts Dragon Bender and they bring in um, – like, they bring in like Rashawn Holmes off the bench. Like there was, there was an opportunity for Blake to just kind of bully ball and, and crush those guys uh, in the low post all game. And he shot 11 threes instead. And so I, that is all that is uh, as notable to me. That was something that, that I was thinking about. Um, 
the uh, the other thing was that uh, Luke Kennard looked really looked really uh, nice in this game when he wasn't yeah, he being called for offensive fouls uh, for off ball movement. The refs were really bad in this game. I'm glad it didn't actually uh, matter, and the Pistons were able to pull away. But the refs were uh, atrocious in this game. Yeah, fortunately, Ellington lit it up. Um, yeah. He really was the MVP of this one. I think. Yeah. All right. So now we have the uh, the game last night, uh, yeah. the, the Portland game. It's a very uh, it's a very rough moment for the, the Jackson household. You know how much of a fan of Damian Lillard I am. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, it's a good me. night for Damian. So <laughs> you were torn, probably. <laughs> so it hurts so much. But yeah, tell uh, tell the people what happened uh, against Portland. Yeah, this was a heartbreaker, right? I mean, hard fought, hard contested game. Um, you know, my my read on this one was that the starting unit very one on one heavy, uh, mixed with a little bit of pick and roll. The second unit very looked very different to me. A lot more player movement. Luke Kennard in particular stood out to me in terms of being a secondary ball handler. He's become so crafty off the dribble, which is uh, just a huge step forward for his game overall. He's so much more than just a guy who comes off screens and shoots or, or knocks down an open jump shot. Um, he's really emerged and blossomed in that role, and I, I thought he played played to his strengths very, very well uh, against Portland. Um, you know, this is sort of nitpicky because the Pistons had to do something to try to slow down Lillard because he, he pretty much did whatever he wanted, especially early in the game. Uh, but that Bruce Brown matchup just ended up being killer. Bruce didn't even take a shot in 18 minutes of play. Um, so he was essentially zeros almost across the board and, and Lillard was absolutely fantastic. Now you can't blame all of that on Brown though, because I think what it does is it brings into focus this glaring weakness that the Pistons have, and that's point guard defense. I mean, you, you've got to shuffle you know, your, your shooting guard onto their best player because your point guards are so poor defensively, and even then that's not good enough. Um, so, so this has to be a focus in the postseason. I mean, no, no matter who the Pistons end up with, they're going to have to deal with a point guard that, that likes to put the ball on the floor. Um, any of those top three teams, obviously, they're going to have to deal with that. And if they're going to use Bruce Brown to do it, um, they've got to figure out a way uh, to have him contribute something other than just guarding their best player. Because, you know, I feel bad harping on him in this way, but he just was he was a literally nothing offensively. Um, you know, Galloway and, and Kennard both played upwards of 28, 29 minutes. So it's not as if, you know, Casey wasn't trying to do other things with shooting guard. Um, but point guard defense was, was just so bad. Uh, and then, of course, this game really was contested all the way into the very end. Um, you know, watching the highlights as I did earlier today, it was just the dagger again, watching them, uh, watching the Blazers close this one out. The Pistons just were not able to do anything right the last minute and a half or so. Um, and, and Portland just looked like the better team with the better superstar in this one to me. Yeah, this this game the last three or so minutes of this game was an excellent illustration in the differences in the type of offense you can run when your best player is a perimeter player versus yeah, the type of offense you can run yeah. when your best player is, is a big man, right? Yeah, that's a that's a very good observation. Yeah. You're right. Uh, you can run high pick and roll with Dame. If uh, you saw the Pistons like play it straight up, you saw them uh, trap – that you saw them uh, kind of hedge like slightly. Uh, it didn't matter. He's seen all those coverage. 
of those coverages. Um, he trusts all the guys on his team implicitly to make the right reads. We saw that with the the last bucket by Nurkic, I think. Um, he in that like that's and so uh, having a guy who can who can penetrate a defense like that um, that doesn't require any setup uh, is is really advantageous. Like when the Pistons need to get the ball into Blake's hands late. They do like a 1-4. They try and engineer a switch. So Blake is being guarded by a smaller player. But even then, he's at, he's at you know, 18, 20 feet. Takes a couple rhythm dribbles, maybe spins, maybe like faces up. But uh, he the defense isn't being forced to react as much as they are when, uh, you know, Dave is attacking from 30 feet, from 28 feet or whatever the case may be. Uh, the other thing that uh, I really noticed um, from this game was uh uh like you talked about bruce brown bruce brown uh bruce brown's been a negative offensively but this is the first game in a while where he looked just even like tentative about about shooting uh, he had like a corner three in the the phoenix game that he took like uh, in rhythm yep, um yep. that you know he had similar shots available to him uh in the second half of this game and just didn't take them um, literally yeah didn't take a single shot yeah and so i i don't know maybe that maybe that's a one game blip um we know that brown is going to struggle because he's limited offensively that's kind of who he is um but you definitely hope that he has enough he's not like losing confidence in himself this late in the season and uh you hope that he can at least like take the shots i don't care that um i think there there were a couple of positions where he uh he passed up open shots and the pistons still scored and that's like that's you know, good results, bad process. Like I still want him to uh, make the move. I still want him attacking. I still want him him confident in his own abilities to the point where, uh, where he, you know, he feels like he can be on the court. Yeah, I mean, he's got to take he's got to take the open three. I mean, even if it's only three or four shot attempts a game, he's just got to take that at least to because even if he shoots one for four, at least he's taking four open shots and. You can't totally ignore him. Right. He's got to take a shot. And, and the defense doesn't know which one of the one he's going to hit, right? And so right. They, right. It, it stretches them out. It it opens up the spacing for other players. Oh, that okay, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, Reggie Jackson played really well in Portland, as he has in his career. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, was, I was a little bit mystified by Dwayne Casey's rotations in this game. Um, Reggie played basically the entirety of the third quarter. Um, and then only got back in the game with like three minutes left. In the yeah, fourth. yeah, you're right. And yep. so uh, I thought that with with the way that Reggie was playing, I probably would have wanted him to play more in the fourth, get into a little bit of rhythm. If I recall correctly, his like first possession back in the fourth uh, was like a turnover that resulted in Portland points that like kind of uh, started shifting the momentum towards Portland. And so uh, that is something that I would have done a little bit differently if I was doing Casey, but uh, I and Ish wasn't even playing that well. Yeah, you're right. And so yeah, you know, that was that was curious uh, to me, especially since um, Ish essentially Casey. I think Casey uh, he trusts Reggie Jackson like to an extent, but we've seen uh, like understand Van Gundy. We've seen. Um, if Ish is going well, Casey will stick with him for, you know, a full 18 second half minutes or whatever it is. And so uh, with with Reggie going as well as he was going, it was surprising to see him not get those uh, those like 18 consecutive second half minutes or 
or be not be brought back at like the eight minute mark of the yeah that's what i would have expected give him give him four minutes to get catch his breath and get him back in there i do recall that now that you mentioned it and being being a little bit flummoxed by that as well and i think the thing that i didn't realize watching this game live but i i realized it when i looked at the box score afterwards and watched some of the highlights again this morning was um the pistons got crushed on the glass like 42 to 29 or something like that uh yeah 42 to 29 which I mean, a 13-rebound deficit is just not something the Pistons typically do. And they didn't – the thing that stands out to me in particular is they just didn't re- rebound the bell um, in terms of offensive rebounding all that well, which is typically, you know, something that they do really well that, that helps their limited offense, um, you know, give, give yourself extra opportunities. It helps a, an otherwise limited offense. So didn't stand out to me watching the game, but um, the Portland bigs – Pretty much, I mean, Dre Dre only had 11 rebounds, and then no one else had more than three, right? So, collectively, you know, if you if you get five more rebounds um, during the course of that game, it probably doesn't come down to you know Damian Lillard heroics, right? With a minute and a half left, you're probably in a better position. So, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Blake and Blake only had three rebounds, right? Yeah, yeah, that's and that's you know that's I've harped on him all season for that. He he obviously rests when he's on defense, but uh, we need him to be better on the glass on defense. I am, I am officially worried about, about Blake um, for the entire month of, uh, for the entire month of March, excuse me, his points and rebounds are down. Um, he's shooting, I think 31% from three uh, and he's shooting, he's shooting like 36% on the year. Um, his usage is lower. Um, it's, and he, he hasn't looked to have the same kind of lift uh, offensively uh, in the post. Um, it's I think it's good that the, the Pistons aren't emphasizing. I'm, I think it's good that the Pistons aren't playing the way they were in like November where Blake is touching the ball 100 times a game and there's like 18 posts up in a row and just uh, motion cuts off of that. I think it's good that the, the ball movement and player movement uh, that we have in the offense is a little bit higher, but uh, I'm still I'm still worried about Blake. Um, there's no, there's doesn't really appear to be like a rhyme or reason for this. He was obviously given rest against Cleveland. Um, he looks, uh, he looks, he still looks tired though. Um, I, I, it, to me, it's, it's one of a couple things, right? It, it could be fatigue. Um, he hasn't played 70 games in a season. Uh, uh, the last time he did so was 2013, 2014 season. And so that's like five, you know, that's yeah. five years ago. That's a long time. Um, he's, maybe he's just not used to playing 70 games in the season, even uh, under, you know, the offensive load that he's he's shouldered. Um, you know, it could be something nagging. He did strain his calf against Chicago a couple weeks back. Um, yeah, he returned, you know, in that game in the in the uh, second game against Chicago and played really effectively. And I'm sure that you know everyone is sort of has sort of nagging things at this point in the season. It's it's been a long year. But uh, I, w- I wonder if it's that. And then the third thing is, I, I wonder if uh, just the the extra ball movement and extra player movement has kind of uh, you know unsettled his role on offense. I wonder if there uh, needs to be a little bit more not not late in games. In late in games, I think you need a more ball and player movement. But uh, you know, early in games, I think you need to do a better job of establishing Blake in the post. And then kind of go to a, a counter from that uh, from the rest of the the rest of the way. I don't know, Ben. This is this has been something that I've been thinking about and noticing for quite some time now. How how are you feeling about Blake Griffin? 
No, I think you have a lot of spot on observations. I think I wouldn't discount um, the strategic change uh, as a result of Reggie Jackson being healthy, as a result of, you know, Luke Kennard emerging as a secondary ball handler. And then I think to me, the, the game that was most obvious this, over these past weeks was against Phoenix. There's this concerted effort to run sets, which I think is a good thing because they, the offense, the pendulum had sort of swung the other way when Blake was doing everything because guys couldn't do anything. So I wouldn't discount that. I think that's playing a fairly significant role. And I think that means that Dwayne Casey and the rest of the staff has some, some really important work to do in a very short amount of time if the Pistons want to make any noise in the playoffs. Because they, they've got to try to figure out the balance between, you know, Blake Griffin is at his best with the ball in his hands. Other guys are best when the ball is moving. And then a guy like Reggie Jackson seems to be at his best with the ball in his hands in the pick and roll. So they've got these three different parts of their offense to figure out how to blend. And I I wouldn't discount that uh, with respect to Blake's production and the decline in that. Um, But I I share your concern about health and progressive fatigue. Uh, When the Pistons traded for Blake Griffin, you know, part of me was just, completely terrified that, you know, his, his health concerns um, would continue to be a problem and, or, uh, you know, his, his production would drop off sooner than it should otherwise because uh, of his previous injury history or whatever. I I don't think that I was as worried about this progressive fatigue issue as, as maybe I should have been, because I I think you're right. When you look at the way Blake is playing, you know, those 11 three point attempts, for example, the other night, uh, as you mentioned, when he really could have made his living inside, that's a striking example of that. Is he just tired? Has all of the the banging that he's been doing, especially inside, which he does a lot more of than I think you, you necessarily realize. He he bodies up with guys even when he's going off the dribble right from 15, 17 feet away. Has that taken a toll? Um, if it has, then they've got to figure out how to get him some rest especially if, you know, by the end of the season, these last three games or so, if it's only about playoff positioning and not about making the playoffs, then rest him. Because I don't think it makes a a tremendous difference which of those top three teams you get, right? I mean, I just don't, I'd like to play Toronto, but, you know, to me, it doesn't make a huge difference. Um, They're going to be big underdogs no matter what they do. Um, But yeah, I think your observations are spot on. And I think, only the coaching staff and the training staff really knows if, if Blake's health is an issue or if fatigue is an issue. But if it is, they, they've got to solve it. They just have to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it is better to have him playing 70 games than, than not playing 70 games and have him, you know, playing 50 games and uh, sitting out with like a litany of uh, ankle and, uh, and wrist strains or, or whatever. But uh, the... The Pistons, if the Pistons want to make the kind of noise they would like to make to show progression uh, in the playoffs, they're going to need a fully healthy 100% Blake Griffin. And if they don't have that, they are not going to show the kind of progression I think they would want to show. And that's that's going to be disappointing is not the right word, but it's going to be disappointing. Yeah. And the thing is, like you mentioned that 538, 95% chance of making the playoffs, whatever. I, you know, like I'm a stat guy, but I don't know how much I trust that because the Pistons schedule, it just isn't that easy. They've got some, they've got 
the next two games really tough. Then they've got back to back over the course of three days against Indiana. Um, you know, this is this is not a given. So it's not like they can just shut Blake down for five games, right? Like right. they they have to continue to win as well. They can't really until April seven. That's with three games left in the season against Charlotte on April seven. Like until that point, they still have to be really clicking on all cylinders. Um, to make the playoffs because it's, it's very possible they could lose like four out of five or, you know, three out of three out of five or, or four out of seven when you look at the upcoming schedule. So there's still a lot of work to do and they can't just shut a guy like Blake down to get him ready for the playoffs. Yeah. I think, I think part of the, that number is also baking in some level of, you know, uh, equivalent play from, sure. Sure. from other teams yeah. um, Miami just lost to Milwaukee by a bunch of points which will happen um, Miami still plays Boston who needs all the wins that they can obtain yeah. two more times uh, I believe Brooklyn, Brooklyn and Miami I looked this up today Brooklyn and Miami play each other on the final day of the season and so maybe that game matters for positional reasons maybe the playoff spots are, are already sewn up by then but you know that could have some implications um, you know We've we've talked about Brooklyn's uh, schedule a little bit in the past, but they have survived and thrived during this West Coast trip, and so perhaps um, they're a, a better team than than uh, than we're giving them credit for. But so I, I think it's safe to say that the Pistons are definitely making the playoffs. But if they make the playoffs and uh, do what they did the last time they make the playoffs, I don't think I think that'll still qualify as a, as a disappointment. You know? Yeah, I agree with you completely. They you the way that they've played over the last 20 games or so, I think everyone expects them to be competitive, not necessarily win a series, but be competitive and win a couple games. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the last thing I really wanted to bring up, uh, because this is something that I, I was having a, a nice little thought exercise about was, uh, when the Lakers came to town, which happened uh, in the time period before, uh, the games we talked about, uh, Vince Ellis talked to Reggie Bullock, uh, but I think before the Lakers game, um, when the, with the conversation he had, he came away thinking that Reggie would be open to uh, a return to Detroit. Uh, that's not really surprising. I think it's it's safe to say that Reggie Bullock has had the uh, the he's played the best basketball of his career in Detroit, so it makes sense for him to uh, to return. Um, it would make it, it makes some degree of financial sense for the Pistons to be able to re-sign him if if they're able to. Um, but you know, with the but we've also got. Uh, with the presence of Wayne Ellington, we've also gotten uh, Keith Langlois has written uh, some pieces about how, you know, Wayne's open to returning. He has a really nice relationship with uh, his former agent, whose name is escaping me, Arn Tellum, Arn Tellum, um, who is obviously like a, a big part of the Pistons front office. And so, uh, you know, if, if you could only afford one, you know, theoretically, I think it's probable you could only afford one of them. Um, which one would you rather have been? Uh, Reggie Bullock? Or Wayne Ellington? Yeah, I'm going to go with Reggie Bullock. I think he's um, a much better defender. Um, initially, I thought Ellington's defense was going to be okay. <laughs> As I've watched him, I've become much more concerned about it. You mentioned size and length earlier as being a significant downgrade from Bullock, and that I think has proved to be the case. And I think you, you also look at age. Um, you could potentially lock Bullock up for, for two or three years, where I don't think you'd want to do that with a 31-year-old Wayne Ellington. Um, so I, and I think also Bullock 
when you look at the emergence of Luke Kennard, when you think about the fact that Langston Galloway probably isn't going anywhere, you don't want to, I think, sign another guy who's strictly a two. And I think um, potentially in the right situations, Bullock can slide over to the three potentially, um, which allows you to get your best players out there more often than not. So Bullock to me um, has the pretty clear edge. What do you think? So I, I think I would also prefer Bullock for many of the same reasons you stated. The uh, the issue for the Pistons is that uh, the part of the reason they traded him in the first place is because they were projecting him to uh, get a large payday yeah. this offseason. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, with how the season has ended for him, uh, he won't, as a member of the Lakers, like he won't be playing in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't have his numbers like in front of me offhand with the with the Lakers, but that whole team has struggled. And so I, I would presume that uh, he has struggled as well. And so I, I wonder if he, you know, takes a look around the league and sees maybe that payday isn't coming. Uh, he would be more uh, amenable to, uh, you know, a, a short-term low-money deal uh, with the Pistons in the same way that, you know, Wayne Ellington uh, ostensibly would be. Um, I think that if you if you gave me a choice between, like, Wayne at, like, $4 million and Reggie at, like, $6 million, it's like it's it's easy. It's you take Reggie. If right. you give me a choice between like Wayne at four million and Reggie at like twelve million, it's like that that decision is a lot harder. I don't even think Pistons yeah. can offer twelve million. Yeah, I don't think you would want to. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So Ben, there are there are only ten games left in the season. It's been hard a long to year. believe, man. And also, side note, hilarious that the Lakers are not making the playoffs. I mean, I'm old enough to hate the Lakers because I was a bad boys fan growing up. Um, but holy cow, what LeBron James. Wow. Like what, a, what a way to spend the last handful of years of your career, like missing the playoffs for the first time. And since when, I mean, just, just wild, wild stuff up there. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of streaks are going to be broken by LeBron this year. It yeah. Reminds you that father time is, uh, is in fact undefeated. Undefeated. Yep. All right. So obviously, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the Pistons play golden state tonight. Uh, they play Denver on Tuesday. That'll be their third game in four nights at Elevation. I am not looking forward to that game. No, that's not fun. And then they fly back home to play uh, the Orlando Magic on Thursday and Portland on Saturday uh, to finish up the month of March. Uh, ben, Pistons are 37 and 35 right now. How many wins do you think they'll have when uh, when we podcast this time next week? I really want them to be 500. Um, Golden State got blown out of the gym by... Dallas last night, Steph Curry um, sat out. I would expect them to come out um, playing absolutely nuts. I would expect this one to be, honestly, I would expect it to be over by halftime. Um, Denver at elevation, I don't like that one either. They have to beat Orlando. I mean, Orlando is still theoretically alive for a playoff spot. Win that game. And then Portland at home is winnable, certainly. But, um, you know, I would be okay with with 500 the next time we talk to each other. And that would be one in three, which is which is kind of scary. I, I will say I watched far more of Orlando Memphis on Friday than I should have. And, you know, Orlando is in the playoff mix. I have no idea if they're a good team or not. Yeah. They're, they're the kind of team that, like, they can jump up and get you. So, like, the Pistons, from my perspective, they just have to put that one away. Yeah. But uh, but when you are when you are at home and almost being 
jumped up and gotten yourselves by the likes of like Tyler Dorsey's best game of his career and the uh, the reemergence of Chandler Parsons. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't know what that says about your your quality uh, as a team. Anyway, uh, I think the I think the it'd be foolish to expect them to close out this uh, this road trip with any wins. Um, you you definitely have to beat Orlando on Thursday, and then um, Portland is definitely a toss up. They've uh, they've traditionally played the Blazers pretty well at home. Um, I seem to remember uh, a Portland game last year that uh, they won going away. Um, it w- I think it'll be a little bit more difficult than the game uh, yesterday. C.J. McCollum um, may be back by uh, yeah. this time next week, and that obviously well, and that gives uh, them two weapons that the Pistons perimeter has to deal with, and. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, that that adds another weapon. Um, I will say, if if he comes back though, I don't think he'll be at a hundred percent, and so maybe you can attack him defensively. There are things schematically you can do uh, to to figure that out. But I, I, you know, the fan in me says they take that game and go uh, two and two on the week. And if they go two and two on the week, they'll hit thirty nine wins, which is their win total from last year, uh, with you know a month left to go in the season, or you know what, six more games left in the season. And so, yeah, uh, two and two would be, I mean, that would be the best outcome, I think, to, to realistically think about. Yeah. And then, and then, if you, they, you know, they go two and two, they stay, they go up a full game on Orlando and I think sees the tiebreaker. Um, they stay, you know, their game, game and a half up on Miami and, uh, you know, within striking distance of Brooklyn. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's six, there are only six games left in the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three of those games are going to be against Charlotte who uh, is will be eliminated from the playoffs by that time. Um, Memphis, who uh, won't be trying. And, you know, the New York Knicks, who have not been trying for, you know, the, since, how, since... How many years now has it been <laughs> since they've tried? I don't I, even know. I was just going to say since the All-Star break, but yeah, that, <laughs> that also works. And so, like, you can, you know, you can expect uh, a level of... Uh, you can expect wins out of, out of those couple of games. And so then you're staring at, you know, 42, 43 wins on the season. And that's definitely enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. So when you explained it like that, that 95% number, like, I think I, I think I can get on board with it now. You just yeah. explained it in a way that makes sense to me. Yeah. There's only, there's only so many games left. Uh, I think, yeah. Yeah. um, one of the guys at Pistons Power did a good job of, of uh, like illustrating the difference between like how much a, a full game is uh, last or yesterday when uh, somebody asked him if there was like an outside chance the Pistons could catch the uh, Celtics for fifth, um, and the Pistons have to go the Pistons have to go like ten and zero, and the Celtics would have to go uh, like two and eight or like two and nine the rest of the way in order wow. to make up a difference of like three games. Or, yeah. or five games, right? And so the full games matter. Um, if if you go five hundred and they go five hundred, um, you know they're gonna lose because we are. You already have more wins with them banked. And there's only there's but so many games left in the year. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, Ben. This is the part where uh, we get to talk about how our respective college basketball teams did this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Michigan State is a good basketball team, Laz. They they're. In typical Izzo form, they have rounded into their best version of themselves when it matters. Their defense is tough. Um, I think they're they're a better team than Michigan. It pains me to say it. They're a better team than Michigan. 
especially with that defense. You know, Michigan under Beeline, they're they're an offense first team, which I think has served them very well. But you know, we saw what Michigan State's defense can do to that Michigan offense when they've ground them to a halt right in the second half every time they've played. So. I, I when it gets right down to it, when we get to the Sweet 16, I'm always cheering for the Big Ten, um, unless you know Michigan is playing against one of the other Big Ten teams. So I'm I'm pulling for all of those remaining Big Ten teams to win. Um, I think Michigan State is the best Big Ten team left, though. Um, they're looking really good to me. Yeah, I will say that uh, I did not watch any of the Bradley game. I had to, I had some personal stuff to take care of. And plus that game was at like two forty five, and so yeah, uh, it was a good it was a good draw, but yeah. you know. <laughs> and apparently they played it they played it pretty close, and it made a lot of people nervous and gave a lot of people uh, middle Tennessee State flashbacks, which is understandable. You know that was a very traumatic time for all of us. <laughs> but uh, but Minnesota was just not that's that's a good draw. They were just not ready in any way, shape, or form to to face any team uh, that night without without their best player. True. Um, you know, that was, that was a good draw. I'll take that. But I watched, I watched, uh, you know, bits and pieces of Michigan play Florida and, you know, Florida, uh, you guys made them work really hard on defense. I was impressed with, uh, with the way that beeline had them out there defensively. And so, you know, I think Michigan is still really strong. I would, I haven't looked at the brackets. I don't know who is in uh, your region, but I, you know, they I would, play the winner. I think that game happens tonight. It's is it Texas Tech and whoever it is. I think they play the winner of that one. So. Oh, so, so I actually have the game up now. Texas Tech is up forty-five to twenty-eight on Buffalo. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah, I think it'll be playing Texas Tech. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I was impressed by Michigan. Michigan is always a, a quality team uh, offensively, and if they're if they're showing a an above average like level of competency competency on defense, they're a very very dangerous team. So. Uh, you know, just to compliment each other's teams, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I feel better about state and you like Michigan. So yeah, all right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Ben, uh, what's the best place for uh, people to talk to you about the Pistons, about Michigan, about anything else that's going on? Yeah. I've been super inactive this week, crazy busy week, but typically Twitter at BR Golker. Um, it's crunch time for March Madness and Michigan's still in it. So I'll be, I'll be active there. I, I've also been kind of inactive this week. Uh, you know, life stuff's happening. Uh, and so uh, my Twitter feed was not as populous as maybe it's been in the past. But uh, if you want to talk to me, the best place is still Twitter to do so. That's at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. All right, guys, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>